0: Everyone needs to get out in the fresh air. Birding is a great way to keep the kids out of your hair.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders.
0: He's Eric, and I'm Hannah.
1: And we created this podcast to share our adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We are definitely not experts in anything that we discuss that might be controversial. We want you to remember that there are our own opinions that might be different from yours.
0: I feel like our, um... Uh, tempo has gotten really fast. Like I was fast singing, you were oh. fast in the intro, and I
1: like stumbled over like half my words. There. I know it's because you it's were like going a, so fast. It's like a fat tongue situation.
0: Oh, is that it? Yeah. I don't know. Um, us normal Westerners too, we tend to speak quickly. Yeah. it's hard to
1: it's hard to slow down.
0: We don't have a lot of time.
1: <laughs> you never know when the big one's going to strike.
0: <laughs> wow, that's kind of scary. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of uh, natural disasters. Our area uh, in Oregon has, well, and much of the Pacific Northwest, has been plagued with wildfires recently. And just at the beginning of the wildfires, we had a windstorm here um,
1: yeah. where
0: we live, and we were actually out of power for 14 hours.
1: Yeah, so Oregon and Washington and California are all essentially all three on fire, If if you haven't been watching the news. And uh, the smoke has been blowing pretty hardcore over this way, and uh kind of the kickoff to the smoke blowing over to us was that windstorm that
0: it was wild
1: was insane knocked down trees all over town, and it was insane and then all and then the power went out, and the temperature spiked by like thirty degrees <laughs> because of the, it was a hot wind coming out of the east, so it was a it was, it was like a whole situation. Nothing
0: that I've ever experienced. And Eric was, um, he got called out on, because he's a volunteer firefighter now, he got called at like 8 p.m. or something like that. No, it was, it was sooner than that. It was earlier
1: than 8, yeah. Well,
0: anyways, like I didn't get hardly any updates until like, um, until like you came home at like 3, p- 3 a.m. and like slept for like an hour and then headed back and, out and on then another the call. And then the
1: call started coming back in again because there, there was like a s- small reprieve in the wind and then the wind kicked back up again. And so, in that reprieve, there was no no trees coming down or anything. And so, we, we all sat around at the station for like forty five minutes. And then it was like, all right, there hasn't been a call in like forty five minutes. I think we can go home. So then everyone dispersed. And then an hour later, we were all back at the station and back to cutting trees and moving moving stuff off of people's cars and all that all that fun stuff. Luckily, there was no no injuries in town. There was no uh, there was a few that fell on a couple houses, but no like in like crazy major damage. But so and that's was, what's happening in our area. It was insane. There was there was some up up north outside of town there was some like pretty significant damage in houses, but luckily for us in, in Cannon Beach, most at least all the places that we responded to, everything everything seemed okay ish. It was
0: just <laughs> wild.
1: Yeah, seriously.
0: And you know, dealing with the smoke still is um, we're, we're not having a whole lot of smoke here. No, but down in
1: Canaan beach. It's nice. Yeah. It's mostly it, fresh air aside from the fog.
0: Yeah. It's so foggy Yeah, and people are thinking it's smoke. Um, but Portland and Seattle, they've had worse air quality in the last couple of days than Beijing, which, you know, Beijing is kind of like the hot, they're like polluted. renowned for
1: the worst air quality in yeah. the world. And
0: now Portland and Seattle are,
1: <laughs> are yeah.
0: beating it. So that's something. Seriously. So if you're in those areas, um, we wish you well and uh, hope that you have some some way to keep yourself safe from some air the, filters
1: inside or the something. smoke and the wildfires.
0: Yeah. So that's uh, that. Um, also, we did launch the birding co-op on the first. Um, well, I guess yeah. So so we've been dealing with those those natural events, and so that's why our episode's a little late because, like we said, Eric was dealing with. Uh, down trees and power mm-hmm. lines and we've had just a ton of cancellations and then rebooking from people trying to escape um so yeah so that's why your episode's a little bit late because it's we've been, been dealing it's been with a, all hec- that. a hectic week oh my gosh 2020 <laughs> Um, but anyways, anyways, so the birding co-op launched on the first and we've had uh, more than 70 or 57, 70, more than 57 people sign up in the community space um, that we have set up for the birding co-op. So that's really exciting. Yeah. And we had a lot of people attend our first birder cafe, which is um, just kind of a opportunity to get together and. Um, we did it on zoom and then we also had Facebook live for this first episode. So people could kind of get an idea of what it's going to be like. So if they're on the fence of joining the birding co-op, um, they can see what a birder cafe is like and then, you know, make their decision, um, as part of it. Yeah.
1: It was also kind of an information session so people could get more, more information from all of us that are on the board like what, what we intend on this, uh, the birding co-op, the direction for it heading and what it's, uh. Where, where the money's going and all that sort of, sort of stuff, so.
0: And it was so exciting on the, the birder, uh, birding co-op community page, like, people have been putting their introductions on there, mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of people that said that they joined because of listening to our show.
1: Yeah, so thank you guys. Yeah,
0: thank you so much, that's super cool, and we, we hope that, you know, you find it to be valuable, and, um, we're really excited about it, and excited about this member driven organization and lots of people had great ideas in the zoom session. Um, so I look forward to working with you all and creating, you know, a really strong and exciting community.
1: Yeah. So this last episode, um, from two weeks ago, um, we had a couple people listen here and there and, uh, the top listenership, the city that listened to it the most, um, Atlanta, Georgia, Mm-hmm. And then the second most, uh, Manhattan, New York City. And you know, Manhattan, New York.
0: <laughs> and I, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but Kampala, uh, Uganda,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think it's Kampala, Uganda, was actually our top listenership for a long time, oh, which is yeah, really yeah, you, cool. You said that. And then they got beat out by uh, Georgia and Manhattan, or uh, Atlanta and Manhattan. So that that's really neat to see, um, you know, uh, a section of the world that doesn't, we don't normally get listeners from, like I looked in, you know, past things and I haven't seen that Uganda ever listens to us. So yeah.
1: So (laughs) thank you Uganda for, for tuning in for a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, uh, this episode is going to be a little different. So we, and we're going to do kind of an intro in our, um, recorded session too, but you know, Eric, did, did you know that kids who go outside are happier, healthier, and smarter?
1: When I'm outside, I definitely feel happier, healthier, and smarter. That's and for sure.
0: We're in a time in our <laughs> our human history when a lot of students are doing school from home on computers. Um, and if you've ever tried to work from home, which you haven't really had to work no, from I've, home, I've never had
1: to work from home. It can be thankfully <laughs>
0: it can be really difficult. When I was working in Florida, um, our building that I was working in like had some sort of like I don't know botulism in the ceilings or so, something there's
1: some sort of mold growing or something i don't know I was giving off spores <laughs> it sounded, so you couldn't be in there
0: sounded horrible yeah. anyways so we worked from home for a couple months before they found us a new building and it was so difficult like i had the cats that constantly needed attention like it's so easy just to uh, go in the kitchen and you know find a snack <laughs> it's really easy to lose focus and um Yeah, so I can definitely sympathize with all the students that are out there trying to do schooling online. And, like, I I did my whole master's program online. And it was something that I, like, only had, like, two hours a week that we met in class. And so, like, it was mostly assignments that we were dealing with, which is easy, you know, to schedule and do on your own. But when it's, like, just sitting in front of a computer and having a discussion, it can be really difficult to, like, you know, stay motivated and stay engaged. Yeah. So, well, and you did some online classes, too. Oh, I did lots of
1: online, online. That's how I got my associates. I, It was almost entirely online, just one class at a time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it can be a yeah. really tough thing to do, and we definitely oh, yeah. sympathize with all the kids out there that are having to deal with this, um, and all the parents that, you know, are trying to keep their kids engaged and motivated. According to research <laughs> out of Berkeley, kids can actually pay better attention in class if they've had an outdoor lesson, you know, in a given time frame. So being outside can definitely help your kids stay um, stay paying attention to what they're doing. And so we wanted to talk about some different ways in which you can incorporate outdoor education into your student's day through a parent-led field trip. And, you know, everyone benefits from nature. It's proven to reduce stress, restore depleted attention. So, like, um, so going outside and being in nature helps to restore and refresh that. And it can also, you know, just improve immune function. Like, getting that fresh air into your lungs can just do a lot for you.
1: Well, and it's working out, too. Like, just being outside, being active, it gets your heart rate going more. So, it kind of improves everything overall.
0: And as we'll mention in the episode, or further in the episode, you might not have little students at home that you're helping through school, but I like to think that everyone that goes into nature is a student. And so I know I learn something every time I go outside, and we hope that you do too, you know, not just bird, 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 but maybe paying attention to, like, their behavior or their habitat or something like that. Or
1: all the trees or all the bugs or all the infrastructure.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's your favorite thing. Um, so we hope that, you know, some of these, these things that we'll talk about will be applicable to your life, even if you don't have a student that you're, you're trying to help through school.
1: Yeah. So, um, with, for this episode we spent, um, we went out hiking like on a day that wasn't super smoky for us, which actually hasn't really been that smoky except for those first couple days. Um, we went out to, um, down to Oswald West State Park, we went. Did a little bit of hiking up and down the trails. Tried to find a dipper, which we were unsuccessful, <laughs> unfortunately. But they're out there somewhere. They they might have been scared because of the smoke, maybe. Hiding, and hiding all the upstream all or the downstream trees or something. They came down. Oh my gosh, so many trees down at Oswald West. It's crazy. Um, from from the windstorm, but um, we spent a little bit of time out there. It was it was smoky, but and a little foggy. But we had there was unlimited different opportunities around for different educational things um for us to explore so if you guys want to listen in you can hear us talk a little bit about a few of them that we found while we were out there
0: see right there that's music that we're hearing in the forest and that's something that you might not consider coming out to a place like this and you know birding you might just be walking down the trail and you see something or hear something but all of these things that we experience when we're in the field when we're at home this is all something that relates to curriculum and to ways in which you can educate students or you can educate yourself
1: yeah so we are out here at oswald west state park uh we've just spent the last i don't know 20 30 minutes uh Hiking up and down the trails, kind of looking for dippers, uh listening to the pacific runs and, and
0: that's physical education physical hiking.
1: education hiking yeah we've uh i mean I was out of breath a little bit before we started recording, <laughs> but so we stood and rested for a second, so I didn't have to embarrass myself
0: I'm not excited about hiking back up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyways, so we're out here at uh, Oswald West. So right now it's it's September, and September in Oregon, where we're at, is typically the time of year where students get back into school. Actually, this morning when I woke up and I was showering, gosh, we got up at, like, 6, and mm-hmm. I was like, ugh, this is just what it was like getting on the school bus, like, at the beginning <laughs> of the year, every year, and it was, like... A- kind of a bummer
1: (laughs) (laughs) well this i mean this year's uh, like what we've got going on down here the it visually it kind of looked like that because we have there's so much smoke from the eastern eastern and central oregon wildfires that it from inside when you're looking outside it looked like fog and that is absolutely every every morning in september waking up to go to school it's foggy kind of drizzly
0: having flashbacks yeah (laughs) Um, so this episode uh, which we'll probably talk about in the intro a little bit more but this is episode we decided to in the spirit of the new school year especially since uh, COVID is affecting everyone's life and it has been for the last six months uh, that we would try to model what a parent-led field trip might look like if you were to take your student out to the to field to explore something besides a virtual classroom that they're probably in. Uh, most of the schools around the U.S. at least are doing virtual schooling for at least a couple months as, um, you know, the situation progresses and we learn more and more about COVID every day. Um, so a lot of students are, are sitting in front of the computer, you know, for hours for, a day.
1: For eight hours or how, however long a school day is yeah. worth of time just sitting in front of a computer um from the school district where we're living in from what we've heard they are going to be taking Wednesdays entirely off um which that's it's going to be confusing it's it's going to be a whole learning process for everyone but uh that leaves the option open for uh um parents or
0: if you're able caretakers to.
1: if they're able to um to take take kids out on an educational field trip for for that Wednesday to go out and do something get out and be physical um Physically distance, of course, from people, but uh, which is pretty easy out here on the Oregon coast um, in the winter. (laughs) Besides the Wednesdays off,
0: they're doing um, at least our friend that has a middle schooler is doing 45-minute sessions, like six times a day, um, of online classes. So it's a lot
1: of sitting in front of a computer.
0: Yeah. So definitely, (laughs) you know, this is a great time to get your student interested in going outside and engaging with nature and you know trying to use those natural experiences to become educational moments whether you're tricking your student into learning something about nature um, and you know all the other curriculum that they are learning in class um, or you know you're doing it with homework and stuff like that and for those of you who don't have kids or aren't really interested in curriculum this is actually similar to Slow Birding, which is uh, by Bridget Butler, the bird diva who I interviewed for Women Birders Happy Hour in my last episode. She has a program called Slow Birding where she finds sit spots and then really explores nature and gets to know what birds are doing and just slowing down and not going, you know, bird, 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 but really considering how that bird lives their life and attempting to learn more about these species and wildlife and we're kind of broadening that concept in looking at some of the biology that goes along with uh, birds so not just birds but all the things that are connected with birds and associated with their lives and um, some of these other concepts like geography and geology and things like that.
1: Yeah, and so not not only nature, but like human stuff. Like out out here, we are in the middle of a temperate rainforest. There's a stream in front of us. You've got all the the geology and uh, the water cycle going on with the stuff in front of us. But also we're standing at a bridge, which you've got civil engineering at work right here it's a bouncy
0: bridge too it kind of scares me (laughs) it's
1: a it's a suspension bridge but it's a it's a strange style of suspension bridge that um i think i've only ever seen one other like this before where you've got the two cables that run underneath the the bridge and the um the the cross beams cross over it and they're bolted to the top of the of the cables and then the bridge is built on top of that so the whole thing it's it's just an interesting style. I'll probably take a picture of it and post it on my Facebook, because I, I really like this bridge. It's interesting. Um, I mean, I know Hannah hates when I talk about infrastructure. Uh, so boring. <laughs> but, but I... I I kind of enjoy looking at infrastructure.
0: So just a little bit more of intro about this. Eric and I are not educators. I have done environmental education and interpretive. I was an interpretive naturalist for many years. But we're not teachers. Yeah, we're not teachers. So we don't have like the TEKS or the, I don't know what they're called in Oregon, the state standards uh, associated with this. But a lot of what we'll be talking about are like teachable moments. So as we're standing here, um, what sorts of things we see and how that kind of relates to different curriculum and maybe give you some ideas of questions that you could ask your student or yourself if you you know aren't out here with a student we're not out here with a student no eric's my student today
1: yeah and i'm, I'm my own student
0: <laughs> um yeah so we want to make sure that you know some of these concepts are are broad enough that they um they fit everybody so, that's kind of what we're doing here today. So, we hope if you do have to lead a parent-led field trip, um, or even if you just take your student out birding, these are some of the things that you could ask them to help broaden you know, their mind about the things that we're seeing. So, it's not just bird, bird, bird. So, we did hear a wren a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, Pacific Wren?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It was the most common wren we have out here, Pacific Wren. They have a call that just is like super super convoluted and just goes on and on and on and on very very exciting
0: so i know you have e going on because you always have e-bird but i'm going to make some tally marks uh, of the birds that we've seen so we've seen pacific wren, and what else we... right
1: before we started the recording we had two great blue herons flying over which is a very odd bird for uh seeing down here
0: yeah i don't even know if i have any for this county
1: it's deep deep in the forest like what what is going on
0: and we've also had a belted kingfisher
1: belted kingfisher that was that was interesting i mean we're we're at a moving body of water we're near the ocean that's all places that we've seen belted kingfishers but he was flying up above the treetops
0: and so i'm making this checklist um and like i said we'll also have eBird because these are ways to incorporate math into to your field trip Um, there's a whole spectrum of how we could include math concepts on this. Um, I'm making a tally, so later I hope to make a pie chart of, you know, say we see 100 birds, and two of them are a great blue heron. So I would just make a a pie, you know, section out of that that's great blue heron to see what what percentage of all the birds that we've seen are great blue heron. Makes it easy when it's out of 100. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, we're going to stop looking. We're, we'll either get up to 100 or we'll stop looking at birds at 100, I think.
0: <laughs> so, Eric, what could we do with eBird to incorporate a little bit more math into a just a birding trip?
1: Well, pre- or post-trip, you can use uh, the bar charts and the um, within the bar charts function, you have like essentially the probability of running into it. So the number of checklists that have been out in an area and the number of those checklists that someone has observed that. So you can, you can come up with an idea of uh, the probability of going out and seeing a great blue heron out here, which I, I, didn't, I didn't think we were going to see one, so I didn't even look at that <laughs> as a probability. Um, but but we, we can look at that after the trip. We can say, okay, well, we, we saw a great blue heron, and we had, based on previous lists, there was a 5% chance. Of, of seeing that out here or or something like that so math is I think math is the second easiest topic out in the forest to talk about
0: but that's not something that I would nef- necessarily realize and until we like we're doing mm-hmm. this kind of research for this episode um I didn't realize how much math actually goes into and like statistics go into going on a bird trip if you you know check ebird regularly like that's all it is <laughs>
1: yeah it's just a lot of math Just a whole pile of math. (laughs) Um,
0: So we also had physical education by the hike that was down here. And of course you can, you know, incorporate as much physical education as you can.
1: Many parks have uh, the, like the little workout, the pull-up bars and the the steps and stuff like that. Those are a blast if you're a kid or if you're a child like me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A child and an
1: adult going. A a 31-year-old child.
0: So, some other things uh, that we might mention also is how lucky we are to have a park like this that's near us. Um, This is a state park, and we have a couple state parks that are really close to where we live, but not everybody necessarily has that option of a state park within their accessible area. Um, So, even if you don't, if you have a city park that's nearby, um, even if you have like an empty lot, you know, that's fairly safe. There's lots of things that you can explore in those areas. Empty lots are great for doing micro field trips and looking at all the bugs in a given area. And Eric's other favorite thing.
1: Oh, I, I was an thing. Yeah. But I, I was I was gonna say about the empty lots in the Houston area. They, there has been a big push to change empty lots that are kind of like city, the city's taking them over and mowing them and stuff, changing them into little mini prairies. So these are little tiny one lot sized prairies that have wildflowers growing in them and they have different um native grasses that attract tons of insects and all sorts of other things. So there's e- even little tiny pockets the size of a single lot in the middle of a giant city of 7 million people in the metro area. You can you can get so a little bit of nature even even if it doesn't uh if it's, if it's not nature around you, you've got skyscrapers around you and houses and strip malls and everything, and then one little spot of nature, you can still find quite a bit. Especially, especially if you're willing to look at the small stuff. Get, get your get your cell phone out and take pictures of the the little insects that are down there.
0: And like we said, we are at a state park, and there's a lot of history. State parks do a great job, and national parks do. A fantastic job of you know presenting the history of these locations um, online and you know in brochures but city parks might not necessarily have that information unless you you know check into the city and and really dig deep and see what there is um or you know there are some city parks that are going to yeah. have that but well, not so, some of the bigger ones
1: but a lot of the smaller ones that are just little pocket parks there it's it, grass picnic table
0: yeah, yeah. and so to <laughs> allow for a little research into the, uh, into your trip. You know, you might have your student or yourself look into the history of the uses of that park and how that park be- came about. And, um, you know, that's also a great opportunity to incorporate in some reading and uh, some speech as well if you want to have somebody read it to you. Like, our location, where we're at, uh, we have four miles of coastline in dense, temperate rainforest. The state park is a secluded sandy beach and miles of trails leading to breathtaking views of the Pacific Ocean. So, right there, it tells us a lot about our location. So, we knew what to look for when we got here, that it's going to be a temperate rainforest, and there's going to be miles of sandy beaches.
1: Lots, lots of trails, lots of trees. That's kind of like first sentence tells us pretty much what we're expecting to get out here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And like I said, there's a lot of history that goes into the park that we're at. It was, um, it came about in 1931, the state park that we're at. It was originally called Short Sand Beach, which is actually something that a lot of locals call it still. Um, And then it was renamed.
1: That's not an official name for anything down here anymore?
0: I think that's actually the name of this beach.
1: That's the name, but just like just the, the, whole, the beach. But the whole park was called. Short as Sand far beach. as I know, yeah. Huh.
0: Um, Interesting. But this park was renamed Oswald West State Park to honor a former governor, Os- governor, Oregon governor Oswald West, mm-hmm. um, who was actually the person who helped set aside 400 almost 400 miles of Oregon shoreline for public use. And so that's um, if you have a little bit of an older student. That might be something that we would talk about, like, why do you think this is set aside for public use?
1: Well, and, and you can you, you, you can investigate further what the Oregon Beach Bill was. Like, not that everyone around the rest of the country cares about the Oregon Beach Bill. But, but there's going to be, a, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. uh,
0: similar things in your area, potentially. Uh, but, Eric, I mean, what do you know about the Beach Bill and why we have public free beaches? Well... You don't have to get into whole nitty gritty, but I won't get into the nitty
1: gritty. So, what's the 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 benefit of it? The benefit of it is that all Oregon beaches um, are have free access, and you don't, uh, you you can't restrict access and you can't charge for access to Oregon state beaches. So, everyone can enjoy the beach. They're they're, um, I think they're essentially they're. I think they're still considered highways.
0: I think parts of it are parts of it are still considered highways,
1: but um, they're mostly managed by Oregon State Parks. So essentially, it's just a state park that goes from the north end of the state to the south end of the state the entire way essentially
0: and so that's incorporating a lot of government for older students. I know we took government what was that in like senior year in high school yeah um and oh, there's
1: a Pacific run real close to us now <laughs> he wants our attention he's like
0: spy hopping us
1: yeah um yeah so we we took uh um government class so you can government or civics um in high school and you can really get into. Once, once you're out at a state park or a city park, you can start talking more cl- more deeply about who manages this area, why they manage it, and if how they there's get the funding. How or... they get the funding for it, and then also if if some, you want something to change, like it's a nature, it's not a nature park; it's a park for picnics, and you would go, you could you could talk about uh, the going going forward to the city council, how it works to uh, deal with getting something changed at in a city like there's there's a there's a lot to that and it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting we're dealing with trying to get involved with our local city government where we're living now but it's but
0: learning how to advocate yeah. i think is a big thing um for for older students like like eric said if there's a city park that's you know basically just for recreation you know running on trails and things like that and you want to include a little bit more nature you may um, go in front of the appropriate group, city council, you know, the, the parks committee or something, the, the friends organization, and ask, you know, can we put in a wildscape garden? That would be a great project uh, for a lot of seniors that are required to do projects in certain places, um, but also boy scout groups and girl scout groups too. If you find a place that you know needs something, a lot of organizations are open to ideas they just need somebody to present them and you know help them find funding
1: yeah yeah so that's that that, these are these are all things that we kind of think about we take for granted while we're out here by ourselves but then you start thinking about if if you had a student out here these are things that a student may may be interested in learning may may not be interested in learning and you might just force (laughs) them to learn it I I don't know
0: I think it's a lot of (laughs) questions that if you pose them then, you know, you're going to have a conversation It's like Kingfisher again? Yeah uh, <laughs> uh, I think these are a lot of questions that if you pose them you know, you can have a conversation about them or, you know, you can even just think about it while you're on the trail I don't necessarily think all the time, like when I'm at a park where my fee goes but then when I see the bathrooms it's like, well, you know, it goes to helping maintain and clean those bathrooms so those aren't normal uh normally something that you would always consider
1: yeah so at the the kind of beginning when we first opened opened to this uh started the recording going we were we were talking about the pacific run that was right over our shoulder and it was it was singing it's singing it's long song i think i think we only caught the end of it there for a second but that's that's music that's that's a topic that uh is kind of I remember being introduced to um having rhythms class back in elementary school and kinda of getting the concept of what what music is and how how we create it and kinda of how to start reading reading it on a page. And so you can you can discuss like listening to this Pacific Ren, you can hear the ups and downs like all over the place. And you pull up um either a spectrogram on the on the computer or if you have a if you have a book book of uh book of bird calls um something like uh the peterson's uh bird calls of the east and west um those have spectrograms showing like those are the ups you can see the ups and downs of a pacific runs call so you can you can kind of like visualize what's going on with that and learn like and those books will talk quite a bit about like why they make certain certain calls not not necessarily all calls are known but just just interesting things
0: yeah and definitely that's a (laughs) that's a good thing um and you know there's a lot of art that you can incorporate into being outside and nature journaling is something that I've always really been curious in about and would love to love to have somebody show me how to do it I am not a great drawer I have painted but my painting is usually like based on a picture that I outline from something else (laughs) um so I I'm not great at that and Um, you know nature journaling is a great way to incorporate some art into your experience when you're outdoors Um, just sitting at one location and you know if a bird pops up take a picture of the bird or just you know work on painting it or write about it and like eric said with the all of the ups and downs of like a pacific run call you could just create a chart of your with yourself and just use your pencil and go up and down when it does
1: That'd be exhausting. Well, yeah, my, my, my arm would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Trying to think of like an easier bird. <laughs> all, all, I, all I can think of is the Pacific red. Now, just like my arm, like feeling it's just like going crazy trying to.
0: What would a kingfisher be? It would like clack, 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 clack. <laughs> Um, And it's easy when you look at a place like this to consider the earth sciences that go into this location. So we have a temperate rainforest and a stream that runs through it, and it goes out to the ocean. Um, And it's really foggy right now. Like Eric said, well, it's probably smoky. It's smoky,
1: yeah, for Uh, sure.
0: But most of the time it is foggy and kind of cloudy in this area. And so talking about the water cycle is something really basic that you can uh, talk to elementary students about or even think about it by yourself, you know, and how the water cycle is such a big part of what drives these locations. And we're lucky enough to know about our area pretty well. And there's a peak at the top up here um, called Angora Peak and Onion Peak that is actually being protected um, by one of our local land conservancies. And they, I think they just got a couple million dollar grant to purchase it from Ooh. the logging company. Um, but we did sit through a lecture recently where they talked all about that location and how it collects water and it's it rains there like all the time because it's so high up. And that's where the water cycle, um, that's where the water hits the land for the majority of, you know, of the water that flows through here. And then it falls through all these little rain, you know, waterfalls, and then comes down into Neocarney Creek, Neocarny, Creek, Creek,
1: and then ends up at
0: the ocean. Um, we don't really have any brackish water where we're at, at this place location because the water doesn't flow heavily enough so that it comes back. But,
1: yeah, it's a, it's a steep enough stream that it's... Just fresh water and then salt water. Yep. There's no uh no transition period for this but uh but in but in many places there is transition a transition zone where you've got brackish water that you can definitely discuss that what what happens in brackish water and how how that's 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 something that supports so many different things that need brackish water and live live specifically there and then there's other things that cannot live. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and that's
0: a great thing that you could ask uh, yourself or your student you know. Shh.
1: there's a chipmunk now yelling oh, at us they're talking to each other or a squirrel
0: that's a squirrel it's a little squirrel it is tiny um <laughs> i lost my train of thought other than i don't
1: know he, he, he yelled it he didn't like what we were saying <laughs> about brackish water i guess
0: uh, yeah so uh, that would be some great questions you could ask uh, your student about why do you think certain things live in salt water and why do certain things live in fresh water and like you know, what sort of processes that uh, happen with these birds and their life history and biology that allow them to live in a certain place.
1: And you, start getting, you can get deep in the weeds, osmosis, how uh, osmosis works with the salt water and the cha- changing of densities in the water from the inside of the fish to the outside of the fish or the inside of the mollusks to the outside or the birds. It, it's, you, you can definitely get deep in the weeds for... Birds osmosis, eyes. Well, you've, you've well, you've got their salt glands, yeah. and they 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 have the it's like basically a second set of kidneys in their up in their head,
0: and then you so. can look at the the anatomy of a seabird to see how that all works
1: exactly. So you 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 can you can definitely get deep in the weeds out here, talking. Well, deep in the weeds while you're deep in the weeds.
0: And I think a lot of this, (laughs) what we're talking about is like stuff that we all know and we might all take for granted about the water cycle because we learned that so long ago. And if you do have a student that, you know, is is doing virtual classes, you know, you might see the water cycle on a chart, but seeing it in real life. Is something that is going to help make that connection a little bit easier, and also create a memorable experience for your student or yourself. Um, so that's kind of what we're getting at entirely. You know, is that these, like I said, these are a lot of things that we already know, and we just take for granted because we learned it a long time ago. Um, but we, it, we
1: learned it in school.
0: Yeah, but it's something that we can impart on the youth. Or, um, you know, people who don't necessarily have the, the good fortune of, you know, having a, a robust biology background.
1: Yeah. And then you, and just taking advantage of or taking advantage of the cards that have been dealt for this year with COVID and like remembering that I'm, I'm sure everyone listening to us has some sort of biological um, knowledge and Knowledge about birds or knowledge about nature in some way that they can uh, then pass on to their to their kids. They may not even know that they can pass a pass some information like that on to their kids.
0: But even if they don't have that biology background, if you have a background in literature, mm-hmm. you know we we both read, but and have taken English, but <laughs> we don't have you know the the deep like English education that like somebody with a you know maybe a degree in that would. Like, like I do so horribly with grammar. Like, like, you know, by show of that sentence that I just said. <laughs> um, like, I st- I struggle with, like, what a verb and an adjective are. Like, I have to ask Eric <laughs> all the time, like, what is the appropriate verb for this? Or, ha- yeah.
1: The verbs are the action words. The adjectives <laughs> are the descriptors. I
0: know, but, you know, that's something that even if you aren't, you know as as knowledgeable about biology or something like that we can take a bird book like we have one right here we have our friend's um book must see birds of the pacific northwest by sarah smith and or sarah swanson and max smith and you know we can pick apart the sentences in this to find out what the verbs are and what the adjectives are and all of that stuff so there are a thousand ways to incorporate what you do know into a parent led field trip that can help out your students and, um, you know, get them outside so they're not sitting in front of a computer.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we are going to start heading back up the hill.
0: Oh, another hike.
1: Yeah. More physical education. Back back to physical education. And, uh, we. We'll fill out
0: this pie chart a little bit more.
1: Yeah. We'll fill out this pie chart a little bit more and then, uh, we'll probably mention it, uh, when we get back home.
0: So there's just a ton of different ways to tie together nature and curriculum, to take a bird walk and make it a fun and educational field trip. And we just displayed a couple of them, and I'm sure you can think of so many more. Um, We could hardly get, like, 10 feet down the trail before, like... You know, trying something, to something come interesting up, pops up. Well, in different examples that that would pop up and be like, oh, we could talk about the you know the geology of this area right here. We could talk about this. We could talk about that.
1: Yeah. So I, I think the the major takeaway that we got while trying to think about how to create a field trip around this is everyone is an expert in something, or at least everyone has a knowledge base in something. So if you're someone that has spent years in accounting, if you've spent years in civ- civil engineering, or I don't know basket weaving or what wh- whatever it is that you do for a job or this, the thing that really interests you you can tie it back to a nature walk like pretty easily there there there's there's ways you can t- tie this stuff together that then you can edu- you can bring bring your child out or bring your friend out and be like oh this is look at this look at all this you can count the rings on the tree you can do what, whatever it is. We'll that's... talk
0: about how Native Americans use certain, you know, parts of trees mm-hmm. and, you know, did certain things in medicinal plants. And there's just a whole school you know whole lot of things you can t- discuss and oh, yeah. especially being creative with it i mean we could easily look at a tree and count the tree rings and then you know n- not have much else to say and move on whereas somebody else would come up and have a whole different thing to yeah, say about some, somebody it.
1: somebody that knows a lot about trees would have, yeah, have, a, have a lot of a lot of stuff to say about <laughs> but this at least tree i can count.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, And we did want to mention some other resources uh, that you might consider when planning your parent-led field trip or your, you know... Your outing for yourself. Um, so that includes that transportation districts sometimes offer free or reduced bus fares for students. Um, and taking the bus is another great life skill to add in. I have to admit that I didn't grow up riding the bus a whole lot and it actually really intimidates me.
1: I grew up on the bus a lot. <laughs> we, we we rode the bus a lot growing up, so it's something I'm really familiar with. It's, it's kind of like second nature as to how, how to read a bus schedule and all that stuff, but not everyone. Not everyone
0: oh, yeah. did that. You... I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Um so yeah, that's that's a great skill to have <laughs> and I'm a little um embarrassed that I don't have that skill you know much like I'm I have difficulty with what a verbis um so there are just a ton of great resources uh some museums which we're talking about you know being out in nature but natural history museums some of them will have discounts for students as well so you might consider adding in something like that if you if you want to um if you don't mind spending a couple dollars or like the field trip we did besides the gas that it took to get there it was a free field trip
1: yeah, and a lot a lot of parks are on bus routes. Not all parks, but a lot of bu- parks are on bus routes. So you can, if you have, the free the free or reduced bus fare for students, and it, then it costs just a, a couple dollars to get down to, to wherever it is, or you, the bike or walk or. Whatever, (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot of resources
0: available online, um, like lesson plans. I I was a interpretive ranger for a little while, and you know, you just Google some of these things, and you know, like birds' beaks, and you can find a ton of um, like field trip, like one or two pagers that can help you get some background knowledge if you want to do that, and a lot of Audubons too, like local. Uh, chapters as well as National Audubon have re- tons of resources for further reading. Um, and if you aren't quite sure how to incorporate state standards into your field trip, so if you really want to like get down to what the kids would be learning in school and how to apply that to your field trip, it's pretty easy to find those state standards using just a quick Google search, or you could probably even ask their teacher and they could send you those sorts of resources.
1: Yeah. So for Oregon, I, I literally on my phone, it took maybe a minute and a half and I was able to get to. The Oregon, the Oregon standard um, education standards, and then there was a, just a few tabs that I clicked on, and then I was down to find out in the category of science, these are the things that students are expected to learn for these grades. So it wasn't terribly cumbersome, at least on the Oregon website, uh, the Oregon Department of Education website, to find what students are expected to be learning at different levels.
0: So anyways, um, so those are some examples of things that you could do to uh, take your kids or yourself or your friend, like Eric said, out into nature and explore it and maybe learn a little bit about something different that could help um, your student grow and, you know, be able to um, focus a little bit better on their their schooling when they get back to the computer. Yeah. And also give them those outdoor experiences. I know a lot of parents take their kids to the park, you know, once or twice a day to play in the jungle gyms and just get that energy out. Um, But this would be a great way to, as you're walking to the park or, um, you know, walking to get the mail or something to incorporate a little bit more uh, education as as you're out there. Since a lot of us are going to have, you know, more opportunities to spend with our kids and Um, definitely want to keep that, you know, enthusiasm for nature and birds high. Yeah. Um, so we also did have an email from one of our listeners that was pretty relevant to this episode. So we asked BJ if we'd be able to, uh, incorporate this into the episodes and she, she said yes. So, uh, just read it real quick. Hi, my name is BJ and I listen to your podcast all the time. Thank you so much, BJ. I am a high school teacher in Florida, and one of my seniors is interested in doing something with wildlife conservation, wildlife biology, environmental biology, etc. Also interested in making an impact on social issues around the world. I just have no idea who to put her in touch with to find out about colleges, job opportunities, etc. If you have any information for um, any women in this area that could talk to her about the opportunities out there, that would definitely be helpful. So I sent BJ a few names of people that I knew um that would be a great person to get in touch with but if you guys have any suggestions of um folks in Florida or if you're somebody, you know, a woman in Florida that has experience or um is working in wildlife conservation, biology, environmental sciences and you'd like to talk to a student about what they can do definitely um send us your information or your friend's information and we'll get you guys in touch and and you can have um, an opportunity to help out the student, which is super cool and very rewarding. Um, and just information that we have, uh, because this is relevant if you guys might have a junior or a senior um, student in high school and they have similar questions. I kind of, I think the, I, I never did this in school. I mm-hmm. feel like I had like a focus of what I wanted to do. So I never really asked for a whole lot of advice, which <laughs> ended up being stupid. Um, I started my college uh, career in zoology, not really knowing what zoology was, but I wanted to be a zookeeper. And so I was like, well, this is an obvious. Obviously. Obvious. Zoology, zookeeper. Perfect. Yeah. Um, which did not turn out to be the way my life uh, went.
1: Wait, so you're not caring for the elephants?
0: I mean, I am, but it's more of like in a stuffed animal zoo. Oh, I see um so I think the best place to start would be to speak with your high school guidance counselor it's something I never did
1: yeah they, they usually have a lot of contacts for the for colleges nearby and have information on how, how to apply for the colleges how to
0: kind get of scholarships
1: get scholarships and how to peruse their uh their list of um
0: courses, cor- and, courses degrees. and
1: degrees that the the different colleges offer that way you can kind of have an idea of what you're getting into and what that college has to offer for you.
0: And even if your high school guidance counselor um, isn't necessarily the best uh, person to talk, you know, doesn't have all those resources, they'll at least have the first step Mm -hmm. of, you know, a local college and maybe somebody at that college that you can start that conversation with. But, you know, if your student is really interested in fish and wildlife, I would suggest, at least for BJ's student, to google florida fish and wildlife i worked for them for about a year and you know we had scientists that spanned every single discipline and in you know related in related to fish and wildlife. Every,
1: every single discipline in fish and wildlife we
0: didn't really have like a lot of like
1: physicists and yeah. stuff <laughs> not that i know of there might have been who knows
0: um. Anyways, I would have them Google the like Florida Fish and Wildlife and just explore the website and see if they see pictures of people doing things that they'd be interested in. Like imagine yourself holding that fish. Is that something that you would want to do?
1: Or standing out in the middle of a forest with a caliper me- measuring DBH of long of longshore pines
0: yeah um and definitely explore that website see if there's anything that gets them excited and a lot of times they'll have contact information um and in your area you know there's likely a couple of um technicians that would be happy to talk to you or people that uh, manage wildlife management areas and those folks have a lot of contacts and so they can get you more information Also, volunteering, if you are able to volunteer, is a great option to see if you actually like doing that sort of work. Um, In addition to thinking I was going to be a zookeeper, I also thought it would be really cool to work in an aquarium um, because I used to love going to an aquarium when I was a kid. And it took me volunteering at an aquarium to realize that I really did not want to do that for a job. So I'm glad <laughs> I volunteered and realized that that's not something that I wanted to do.
1: Was that during the job shadow at Newport or was that when we volunteered at um, Moody Gardens?
0: Well, it was like initially when I volunteered at or the job shadow at Newport Aquarium mm-hmm. and they were like, okay, here's like a hundred fish. And like, guys, I hate fish. Like fish are probably the most disgusting thing I can think of. I can't look at them. I can't smell them. They just like creepy me out. <laughs> Um, which I've taught thousands of kids to go fishing, <laughs> so <laughs> my life is full of lots of conundrums. That's not the
1: right word. That's a, that's a good enough word.
0: Yeah. Um, anyways, so they were like, here's this bucket full of fish, shove pills in their gills. And I was like, can I use gloves? And they were like, well, it's really hard to do without, gl- or with gloves on, so they made me do it without gloves. And then I had to feed them to the seals. So that was not the best day of my life. <laughs> And then, when you and I volunteered at the aquarium, it was way too much fish touching
1: well we were, we wore gloves in that because it was so hard to grip the fish
0: also, I was kind of terrified of that sea turtle was going to like bite me because you had to feed it oh, so yeah. weirdly
1: well you had you had to with the open palm so it didn't bite you and then you had to let like go let go and let let the food float for a second.
0: yeah, apparently, I'm yeah. not as coordinated as I thought. <laughs> Um, so anyways, those are a couple of suggestions. I, I would see if you could do a job shadow. Some um, organizations have job job shadows already set up, but um, if an organization doesn't and you think you would want to work in that job, just ask and say, you know, hey, can I take along with, um, you know, a biologist for the day? And I'm sure people would be more than happy to have you usually, come out Usually some, that. like,
1: liability paperwork to fill out, but mo- yeah. I think most organizations have the ability to get something set up for you.
0: Yeah. And, you know, people would be super impressed to see that there's a high schooler that's interested in this field enough that they took the, you know, initiative to, to ask. Um, I know I'd definitely be super impressed by that. (laughs) You want to come help me run a hotel? Sure. Um, so here's the toilets. Get scrubbing. (laughs) (laughs) that would only be like half the day. (laughs) So, as far as schools, uh, because, you know, that's something to consider, too. Um, BJ shared with us that their graduating class is about 700, so that's that's a pretty good-sized school. Mm-hmm. Our graduating class is about 500, so uh, bigger than ours. And I would suggest that you tour a large school and a small school in your area, you know, and see what feels right. Like, if you get on a huge campus and it's too confusing and you just feel uncomfortable, like you'll have your answer. And, or if you get to a small school and you're like, this is it, (laughs) then you'll also have your answer. I know lots of people who have done well and great in big schools and people who prefer little schools. It's just up to the person. And it's also my personal opinion as someone who has hired a handful of people that whether your, your bachelor's is in wildlife biology, environmental sciences, Whatever. Just straight
1: up, just regular biology.
0: <laughs> well, like we talked about, biology yeah. is a little different because a lot of doctors start off mm-hmm. with biology. So sometimes that's like a different focus. But anyways, they're all pretty similar degrees. Like you're going to take like a year of biology, a year of chemistry, you know, um, geology, atmospheric sciences. Like most of them are going to have the same um, basic curriculum. And you'll, you'll have some specialized classes getting towards your specific degree field, um, but I think like 75% of your classes are going to be like, you know, just kind of general sciencey
1: things. And most, most, uh, job applications, they'll say like one specific degree, oh, you should have a degree in, um, environmental sciences, fish and wildlife conservation or something very specific. And then it'll also say right at the end of that, or a related field or a related degree or, so, or something like that. So then it's like, oh, so now everything
0: is on the table.
1: Everything is on the table that's related to that. So even, you don't have to fuss too much over very, very specific, like, I want this exact degree. Because it, it, it could pigeonhole you a little bit, but also it's it, as long as your degree related to the whole situation, it, you get so much education from a lot of the backcore classes and a lot of the classes that overlap that are just general, like Hannah said, atmospheric sciences and stuff like that, that you're going to take in all of those types of degrees.
0: And, you know, once you get a degree that that's really one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of folks into, into getting a job, it's like, you know, a lot of applications will say, do you have a degree in one of these fields, like Eric was talking about? Mm-hmm. And really, they just want to see that you have like the commitment and the drive. And, you know, you spent all that money um, <laughs> <laughs> before that position. And, So, And they also want to know that you have, like, a basic understanding of biology and and chemistry and all that. And what the job's going to be. Yeah. Um, And, of course, this is just our opinion about how all this works. So definitely take it with a grain of salt. Talk to other people. Uh, But, yeah, that's kind of what we think. And one class that has – so in my Women Birders Happy Hour um, podcast, there has been one class that a handful of people have actually cited as being really formative for their careers. And the class, um, I don't know what other people called it, but at the school that I went to, it was called field sampling of fish and wildlife. And it was about a 200 level course in the college of fish and wildlife. And it was a course that we would go out once a week and, um, they would have a researcher doing a project and show us how it worked. So we did, um, salmon sampling, mm-hmm. we did bird banding, we did, um, uh, red treval. Um,
1: that one sounded the most interesting of them all.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess research, but that was something that we actually saw real people in the field doing these kind of careers. So it, it really gave you an idea of like, uh, can I do this? This is what people in this career field do. Um, so if you can shoot a
1: crossbow into the trees and climb a rope yeah, to, the, to cool. the top, to the top of this tree to, to get a red tree bowl.
0: Eric didn't even see it. He just, oh my was gosh! I want to
1: go do that so bad. <laughs> It's so much fun. So,
0: anyways, if you get an opportunity to take a course like that, that might be a great way to help you kind of figure out, um, you know, what you what you really want to do. But there's always opportunities to like once you do something for a little while and you don't really like it, to move on to something else. That's one of the trade the earmarks of it. No, that's one of the things about millennials. You know, we'll have 15 different jobs in our lifetime.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, which is not always a good thing, but uh, just something to consider. <laughs> well and i I would just you know suggest get as much experience as you can um either through internships or through volunteering. Talk to professors when you get to to college and um get to know them. That's something that I didn't do. I asked like one professor, "Hey, do you have a research project I could be a part of?" and they were like, "You could ask people about beavers and I was like that sounds awesome, and then I never knew how to get into it so um, just be, you know, try to be as outgoing as you can and, and talk to people and uh, doors will likely open. Yeah. So thank you guys so much. I hope this was useful to you. Uh, if you're a parent having to lead field trips suddenly for your students um, <laughs> or, you know, if you, you if, s-
1: suddenly dropped into the plate of you're now an educator.
0: Or if you're, you know, don't have kids um, and you want to go out and think a little bit harder about what you're seeing and the experiences that you're having. So hopefully it was useful.
1: Yeah. And thank you all for listening to our podcast. I hope you, we hope you enjoyed it and or learned something. No, just you do. I do. Yeah, <laughs> Hannah doesn't care. Um, That's not true. Ra- sure. <laughs> Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else that you listen to us. Um, if you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us on Instagram at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding.
0: Hannah with an H, Eric with a K.
1: And on our Facebook page at Hannah and Eric Go Birding, you can also follow us on our Twitter at We Go Birding, or you email us at hannahandericgobirding at gmail dot com. Good job. I was just going to stumble all over that one. You can also follow our follow follow us on our website at GoBirdingPodcast.com. Tell us what you hated. Tell us what you liked, and you can sh- share us with your friends.